Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear David who? My mom. She's overbearing, she's dramatic, and she's stubborn. But trying to reason with this woman is like trying to fight City Hall. You're going to lose. <laughs> Fuck. That and more. But before that, we have some incredible workshops coming up at thestorystudio.org, including a two-day Finding New Stories workshop with David Crabb. That's Saturday, March 6th, and Sunday, March 7th, from 1.30 to 4 p.m. Eastern. And remember, countless people have told us that no one quite compares to the storystudio.org when it comes to corporate workshops. We've worked with so many people who say that they've taken similar communications sorts of workshops before, but that the story studio teachers gave them nuts and bolts tangible takeaways that they were able to apply to their work immediately and land big gigs or big new contracts because of it. We've worked with businesses like Citibank, Google, Pfizer, American Express. Visit us at thestorystudio.org. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Sebastian Tellier behind me now, and we're calling this week's episode Moments of Clarity. 
something we could all use a lot more of. I'm so excited. In a little bit, we're going to have an anecdote, one of these little mini stories that one of you sent to us. We love when Risk listeners send in short stories, those stories that are, you know, maybe three to four minutes long about just one incident. Could be hilarious, could be shocking, scary, beautiful, whatever. One little thing that happened that you might be inclined to share with friends at a party. Or one little thing that happened that you might be inclined to share with your therapist. Just check out the submissions page at risk-show.com slash submissions. And we have a great example of one coming up in a little bit from Danielle Meunier. Before Danielle, we have a remarkable story from David Hu. It was really touching. David shared this story at one of the live streams. I was not there because I was in Ohio for my father's funeral. So it was especially touching that David chose that live stream to share a story about his own father. And you know, we always love when immigrants or children of immigrants come on to the show to share about that experience, about being immigrants or children of immigrants. This one was so sweet because it has echoes, I think, of Annie Tan's story, Allegiance, from the episode, just a couple episodes back, the episode called Bringing to Light. And David was so hilarious the last time he was on the podcast that it's really nice to see him telling a more emotional sort of story here today. You can find him on Instagram at DaveWho718, and here he is now. This is David Who with a story we call Silent Father. Ladies and gentlemen, David Who. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So growing up, I never had an emotional connection with my dad. He worked a lot of hours at a restaurant in Chinatown as a waiter, and there was a language barrier between us. See, my dad doesn't speak English very well, and he always talked to my mom in Chinese. I don't speak it nor understand Chinese, so as a kid, I felt like I was raised by two spies. Although we never had much to say, my dad was loving in other ways. I remember when I was like 10 years old. I'm sound asleep. It's late at night, and I felt a cold hand wiggle my foot. I woke up startled, and I'm half asleep, and all I see is this black silhouette at the end of my bed. And I realized it's my dad with a big smile on his face, and all he wanted to say was, Good night. <laughs> the next morning, I wake up, and I find toys scattered all over my bed. These are toys that kids left at the restaurant the night before, regifted by this man of a few words. I call my dad. And I felt really special, regardless if the toys were used and they always smelled like Chinese takeout. Every morning felt like Christmas Day. And my dad always had my back. I remember when I was seven years old, I was a first grader in Catholic school. And one afternoon, I had to use the bathroom really bad. And my teacher at the time was Sister Louis Agnes Rhee. She was a nun that always wore a long white habit. And I walked up to her and I was like saying, hey, can I please be excused? And she said, no. When I returned back to my desk, I wet my pants. And everyone in the class laughed at me. As I sat there in my piss-soaked pants, I felt like a sideshow freak. It was so embarrassing. And my dad walked into the class. And the first thing he did was he lifted me up by my armpits 
and he hugged me. Oh. I was surprised. I never had my dad hug me in my entire life. However, I felt so safe in his arms. And I hear Sister Luz Agnes Reed scream at my dad, you see your kid? He made a mess. He ruined my lesson. And I just started to cry. And I just buried my face in my dad's shoulder like a turtle in its shell. And my dad said, he's seven years old. How come you don't let him to your bathroom? Why make trouble? Aww. As we walked out of the class, my dad whispered in my ear, okay, we'll go home. After that day, I never went back to Catholic school. And I started my education at public school. In 2018, my dad started to struggle with common things we take for granted every day. I remember I had a phone conversation with my mom one evening about my dad. She sounded really worried and concerned. David, David, what? David, dad is acting really funny lately. Mom, what do you mean by funny? Okay, okay. This afternoon, I heard someone banging the door. Bang, 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 bang. I said, okay, okay. I'll go downstairs. Look out the window. Dad, struggling to put the key in. He like forgot what he's doing. Mom, dad is ridiculous. Dad did not forget how to put a key in a door. The front door is awfully old. What you need to do is you need to put some oil in the lock. No, 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 no. I used the door this morning. It's fine. Dad, forget. And also, I wanted to tell you a long time ago, but you were so busy, busy, busy. I walked in the kitchen one day. So hot. Mom, you ever thought about opening up the window? Well, I opened up the window and it smelled gas. The stove was on. Your dad left it on. Not the first time. He does it all the time now. Oh, my God. It was alarming and quite concerning because the house could have went up in flames and both my parents would have been injured. So I was like, Mom, this is what you do. You go and unscrew each knob off from the stove and I'm going to be back home this weekend. So I spent that weekend over my folks' house in the Bronx. And that afternoon, I saw my dad walking around with money sticking out of his pockets of his pants and falling on the floor without him realizing it. It was upsetting because this is money I gave him. And it was unlike my dad because he was always very careful with how he handled his money. And that evening, I told my mom what happened. And she was like, David, David, I want to tell you something. Dad is 83 years old and he's starting to have Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's really, mom? Should we at least see a doctor to get a second opinion? Why? Why see a doctor? What's doctor going to say? Doctor going to say he's old. He's 83 years old. He's starting to have Alzheimer's. My mom, she's overbearing, she's dramatic, and she's stubborn. I love her, and she needs well, but trying to reason with this woman is like trying to fight City Hall. You're going to lose. <laughs> Fuck. In the summer of 2019, my dad went from forgetful to delusional. When I got a call from work one afternoon from my mom telling me that she was at the supermarket and she got a call from our next door neighbor, Scott. And Scott was saying that my dad walked up to him acting all frantic, telling him that he sees people running around covered in blood. Call the police now. After my mom told me that, I was speechless. And I felt this bottomless pit in my stomach and literally all the air being sucked out of my lungs with a vacuum. It was morbid, it was disturbing, and it was unlike my dad. Luckily, he didn't get arrested or even worse. And my mom just sounded so physically and emotionally drained on the phone. David, David, I'm 73 years old. I take care to your dad all the time. I clean, I cook, I watch him. I don't have time to go to the supermarket. You understand? I'm tired. I need help. I need help. And I felt really bad. So that summer, I spent every weekend at my folks' house in the Bronx to help him out. So one afternoon, I walked by my dad's bedroom 
and I see him sitting there by his table, staring outside the window aimlessly with this catatonic look on his face. And I hear the static noise from his portable radio. It's really irritating. It's like a perfect reflection of my dad's mental state right now. And ironically, my dad still has a calendar hanging on his wall from 2018, the year my dad started to lose his mind. It's sad, and I'm about to cry. And then suddenly, I see my dad lean up towards the window, and he starts waving outside. I'm curious, what is he waving at? So I look outside the window, and all I see is just two big pine trees in our backyard. I'm like, Dad, what are you waving at? People tree, people tree, people tree. I said, Dad, there's people in the tree? Really? And I started laughing. I thought it was kind of comical, so I started waving outside as well. People tree, people tree, people tree, to give them some encouragement. The next morning, I get rudely awakened by pounding noises in my dad's bedroom. I walk into my dad's bedroom and I see him on his bed and he's wrestling his pillow and he's tying the pillowcases knots and he's just beating the shit out of it to say, I got it, I got it, it's in there. And I just stare at him. It's disturbing, it's sad, and my mind is spinning. And what I do is I grab that pillow out of his hand and I rip the pillowcase open and I show it to him, Dad, it's just a pillow. There's nothing in there other than a pillow. He finally comes to the realization it's just a pillow and he's really embarrassed and he starts apologizing profusely. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Dad, it's okay as I replace the pillowcase. That afternoon, I'm talking to my mom about my dad. Mom, I think dad is bored and he's getting really frustrated because all he does is spend his time in his bedroom. I want to take him for a walk in the park. No, why take him for a walk? Why? He's going to get confused. Don't do that. Don't do that. You take him for a walk. You want to go out for a walk again and again and again. Yeah, mom, because he's a human being, not a caged animal. No, he want to walk outside. There's a backyard. Now I understand why my mom is so physically and emotionally drained. She's so stubborn and set in her ways. I am exhausted arguing with this lady. And I go to sleep. And I wake up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. I walk into the bathroom I step in a puddle of water. What the hell? I turn on the lights. It smells like a men's restroom at Yankee Stadium. And the bathroom floor and the toilet seat is covered in piss. Fuck. And my dad is standing behind me. I'm like startled. And he has this big smile on his face. And he says, David, good boy. Really good boy. I'm confused. And I look down. And his old navy cargo shorts are tattered and ripped and soaked in urine. The pressure from my mom and my frustration with how my dad is acting because I can't come to terms with who he is. He's not the man he used to be. Just comes caving down on me. And all I can do is just put my hands on my face. I feel like Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone. And all I do is say, Mom! Mom! Dad, what the floor? Dad, what the floor? And my dad started acting all frantic. What, what, what happened? What happened? Well, why is there so much water? Well, what is going on? What, what, what are you talking about? And I just stare at my dad. I suddenly see a reflection of myself. When I was seven years old, when I wet my pants in first grade, and I just hug my dad, and I squeeze in as tight as I can, 
and I don't give a shit. I'm covered in piss, and I smell like a men's bathroom at Yankee Stadium. He's my dad, and I love him unconditionally. And my mom walks into the bathroom, and she's scrubbing the floor with Clorox bleach. The pungent smell of bleach starts burning my nostrils, and I start to tear up and cry as I embrace my dad in my arms. That's my story. first job out of college was for a financial services firm in Boston, downtown financial district. I thought it was so cool. It's the sort of place where we'd take clients out to dinner, people who managed billion dollar funds, and all these men, 15, 20 years my senior, would order steak and whiskey or whatever manly drink there is. And I would say, uh, yes, I'll have the salmon and red wine, please. And whenever anyone talked to me, I was like, I am going to be an expert conversationalist. So one day, get into work, sit in my cubicle. My colleague, Edwin, walks by. Super nice guy, but we come from different worlds. He wears cufflinks and an Hermes belt buckle. Has always nicely coiffed hair. I'm a sweet nice Midwestern girl just trying to fit in to East Coast Boston life. Kind of is heading to his office and then he pauses and looks at me and saddles up to my cubicle and says, hey Danielle, how was your evening last night? What'd you, what'd you do? I said, oh, I played Guitar Hero all night. It was so fun. And I start mimicking green, yellow, red, green, yellow, red, yellow, red, yellow, red. And he's looking at me like, uh, okay. Kind of leans back a bit. I was playing this one song for two hours. And now he's just incredulous. Like, that is so undignified. Or <laughs> why would someone do that? He's like, uh, okay. <laughs> what song were you playing? I'm like, oh, um, I was dumbfounded. I couldn't remember. I'm just showing him with my fingers. Green, yellow, red, yellow, red, yellow, red, green, yellow, red. No, no, no trying to come up with the song. I'm like, I, I don't remember exactly, but it's a song you know. It's very popular in the 80s hair band. And he's just like, okay, whatever. And he goes back to his office. It was one of those days where you just like have something at the back of your brain, kind of right above your neck, just like tapping at you, gnawing at you. You don't really know what it is. And I'm just kind of working on my reports all day, my TPS reports. This thing is there. It's there. Dun, 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 dun. Lock the cellar door and baby. Hours later, working on this report. Lock the cellar door. And I'm like, oh, right, yes. Pull up instant messenger. Find my colleague's name. Message him. Talk dirty to me. I'm completely tickled. I remember the name of the song. 
perfect. That little gnawing at the back of my neck can go away. Pull up my report, keep working on it. I remember hearing Edwin's chair move back and he kind of gets up and he just pokes his head out out of his office. He doesn't even come out fully. He just kind of looks at me quizzically and I look up and I tilt my head, kind of give him a half smile, like, yeah, yeah, I remembered. And he goes back to his office and he sits down and I'm working on my report. And then this instant message back to me, a single solitary question mark, just that question mark staring at me. And I'm like, huh? Huh? Oh, no, 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 no. I didn't message my colleague. Talk dirty to me. I messaged. Talk dirty to me. My whole body just started to fill with dread. I could feel myself turning red. Hunch over the keyboard, caps lock on, looking straight down. Oh my God, that is the song I was playing last night. That's the song I was playing for two hours. I didn't mean to sext my colleague. I'm a nice Midwestern girl. I would never do that. And then I just hear my colleague laughing, that confident laugh in his office. And I'm just bright red. This is Risk. This is Robin Adele Anderson behind me now covering Talk Dirty to Me by Poison. Before that, we heard from Danielle Meunier a little anecdote she sent in that was edited by John LaSala. Before that, we heard a little something from Weezer. And this week's Patreon bonus will be a check-in between me and Ernest Anfin, who told that incredible story, The All-American, a couple episodes back, the story about growing up 
among lots of animals on a farm. I know a lot of you had a lot of thoughts and feelings about that story. So check out my conversation with Ernest Anfin at patreon.com slash risk. There's so much bonus content there. Your donations are very much needed to keep this show going. And if you'd like to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Our final story on this week's episode also comes from one of our recent live streams. This is Joe Charnitsky. First time doing the show. You can find Joe on Instagram at Charnitsky. And here he is now with a story we call Okay No Matter What. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love never fails. I'm reading this popular passage from St. Paul's second letter of the Corinthians, standing at a lectern in a church with my niece and her soon-to-be husband at my left, 
And in front of me, the dearly beloved who gathered there that day, including my mom, my older siblings, and my wife. She and I got married just about a year earlier in the courtyard of an art museum on a steamy Saturday on the North Carolina coast. About six months after that, we bought a house in Westchester County, New York, just north of the great city in which we had met. Over the next six months, after a series of events, it became clear my wife had a serious drinking problem. How can that be, Joe? Was she an alcoholic when you met her? Did something magically happen once you got married? What did you do, Joe, to cause this? It's okay. You can wonder. I do. The truth of the matter is, yes, sometimes she drank too much. And sure, occasionally that upset me. And once in a while, we had to have uncomfortable conversations like over Sunday brunch about the night before. But it wasn't like it was happening all the time until it was happening all the time. And so while I was reading this Bible verse as inspiration for my niece's marriage, I was certainly also hoping it would inspire my own. I was hoping we'd be okay. Uh, After the ceremony, we went to my mom's house for finger foods and chit-chat with friends and family while the wedding party went and took their pictures. And after, I don't know, a couple hours of this, uh, everyone started to get ready to go to the reception. And while this is happening, my wife stumbles and she bangs into my mom's china cabinet. And nothing breaks inside, but the bang is enough to shatter any conversation in the room. Everyone turns their attention to her and Is she okay? And once they realize she is, they continue to get ready to go to the reception. But you see, I had become really good at picking up the signs. So I was the only one in that house who knew she was drunk. So I grabbed her by the arm and I pulled her around the corner and I pushed her into my mother's bedroom and I aggressively closed the door. And she sort of sank onto the bed and then melted sideways, her head on the pillow, her feet still flat on the floor. I didn't want the people in the other room to hear me. So in a restrained bark, I asked, what is wrong with you? How could you do this? And she clumsily reached over behind herself and pulled over some blankets and closed her eyes. My brother knocked on the bedroom door. I opened it just far enough to tell him, we're going to have to meet you at the reception. And his eyes looked past me and then met mine and said, uh, okay. And I closed the door on him. I listened in the other room, um, the sounds of the door, the front door opening and closing, the murmur of conversation dwindling as folks left, and then finally silence. My wife would uh, sleep it off, as they say, for the next uh, couple of hours. And I seethed. I marinated in resentment. I have three nieces and a nephew. I love them all equally. There are no favorites. I'm not kidding. 
but as a point of distinction. This was my oldest niece who was getting married that day. This is the only person, the first person at that point I had known from day one of their life to adulthood. She's only 12 years younger than me. That proximity in age produced a proximity in spirit. Landmark occasions in her life are landmark occasions in mine. I was so excited to read at that wedding ceremony and still looking forward to the reception. And now I was going to miss it. Mm. And it was her fault. When my wife did wake up, uh, she sort of slinked out to the living room where I was sitting and asked, where is everybody? They're at the reception, I hissed. And I think I could see the fog clearing a little from her mind. I assumed puzzle pieces were falling into place because her eyes filled up with tears. And she somehow garnered the nerve to ask, why aren't you there? And I relished the opportunity to cover her in shame. Because you got drunk and I stayed here to watch you. My wife started to go to AA and I went to Al-Anon. This is the 12-step program for friends and family of alcoholics. I actually first heard about Al-Anon many years earlier on the MTV call-in show Loveline with Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla. Uh, anytime someone called in with a problem of addiction in a loved one, Dr. Drew would ask, do you go to Al-Anon? And the person would almost always say no. And then he would say, you should really think about going to Al-Anon. And this information was clearly stored on a low shelf in the library of my mind in case I might need it someday because when I needed it, I remembered it existed. So I went to a meeting and I kept going to meetings. I felt calmer after a meeting than I did before pretty much every time. Uh, I didn't understand all the lingo, all the slogans, but I learned a lot. I learned about the 12 steps. I learned about uh, the disease of alcoholism, enabling behavior, codependency, I learned that I did not cause it in my wife. How dare you think otherwise? I learned I can't control it. I learned I can't cure it. And I was encouraged to remember that there is no one suffering like how the alcoholic is suffering. And I would keep going to these meetings. And I got to say, as the months went by, I felt better. I don't know if I'd go so far as good, but better. Although there was this one thing they say at every meeting. It goes, uh, we can find contentment and even happiness, whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. And I thought that was crazy. I mean, these people don't live in my house, apparently, because when the alcoholic is drinking, everything stops. Right, All attention, all focus, all energy, all care goes to the alcoholic. Forget what plans you had today, like with my niece's wedding. No, that's out the window. Now you just sit around and take care of the alcoholic and resent it more and more. But this one night, I called home from my office and I could hear 
in my wife's voice that maybe I should go to a meeting before I go home tonight. And so I did. Found an Al-Anon meeting and, and went to it. And I heard that familiar sentence. We can find contentment and even happiness whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. And of course, it struck me. Because I knew for a fact at that moment the alcoholic was drinking. I knew it. And there I was at that meeting, feeling okay. I was okay, which opened up the possibility that I could be okay, no matter what. Uh, My wife tried rehab and she had some successes and some slips. But by the time we got to Christmas, this is now a year and a half after my niece's wedding, she had put together 10 months of recovery and easily the best part of our relationship. Uh, We were going back to uh, my mom's for Christmas Eve. My sister was actually hosting the dinner. She lives up the street, but we were at my mom's hanging out until it was time to go. And my Wife came out of one of the bedrooms and sat next to me on the couch. And I could still really, you know, pick up the signs. So I knew what happened in that bedroom when she was in there by herself. I didn't grab her by the arm or any other part. I just calmly asked, um, can we go talk in the other room? And I didn't aggressively close any doors. I didn't have to restrain my bark because I didn't feel like barking. I just asked, have you been drinking? And she said, yes. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry that happened. Um, but I don't think my family should have to sit through Christmas Eve dinner, you know, with you in that condition. She said she understood, but I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to dinner. Uh, I just would prefer if you stayed here. And she said, fine. Because you see, friends, it's not her fault I missed my niece's wedding reception. I made the choice. I made the choice to drown in resentment instead of go and celebrate. I made the choice to wait for her so that when she woke up, I could cruelly cover her in shame. And I didn't want to make that choice for either of us anymore. I wanted to take care of myself. Patient, kind, loving care. I went out to the kitchen, put my arm around my mom, and told her that my wife would not be joining us for dinner and and what had happened. My mom said, all right. And she looked up at me and asked, are you okay? And it was just so nice to be able to tell her the truth. I will always be okay. No matter what. Yeah.
is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Joan as policewoman behind me now, and we just heard from Joe Charnitsky, who you can find on Instagram at Charnitsky. Folks, the next Risk live stream show is on Friday, March 12th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Tickets are at risk-show.com slash tour. And if you want to get a personalized video greeting from me for a friend, that's at cameo.com slash thekevinallison. Also, if you'd like to hire me for storytelling training, I'm at kevinallison.com. I have helped people prepare for job interviews, uh, helped people prepare presentations or pitches, help people on their memoirs or solo shows, or in the creation of their own podcasts. I've helped people prepare wedding toasts or eulogies or tour guide spiels or opening or closing statements in trials or parole applications. You know, the personal essays that go into that sort of thing. Personal essays for college admissions, the whole gamut. Just look me up at kevinallison.com. Finally, to talk with other fans about the stories you hear on the show, join the Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group on Facebook. You have to answer a couple of questions first to prove you're not a robot or something, or look for our subreddit, Risk Podcast. And you can follow us on our socials at Risk Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the Kevin Allison. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. When did you make this decision? When you were sitting there eating that muffin? Yeah. I was sitting there eating my muffin and drinking my coffee and replaying the incident in my head when I had what alcoholics refer to as a moment of clarity. Yo, that shit is mad ill.